Thanks, my friend. Welcome back to the Wayfair Weekend Podcast. So glad to have you along for the ride. Thanks for listening. On the show today, a conversation with a man who's had a significant impact on my life, and he has literally been a living example of the kind of person that I want to be for 40 years. Andy Bales, CEO of Union Rescue Mission in Los Angeles, working in what is arguably the poorest and most hopeless neighborhood in the United States. He'll tell you all about that on the podcast today. The chapter day journey is in Ecclesiastes. It, it's just really simple. Every weekday, read one chapter of the Bible along with me. I blog my thoughts about the chapter at TomVanderwell.com, share them in podcast form on all the major podcast platforms. You're welcome to share your own thoughts and comments uh, at the blog or on the podcast, or better yet, find a friend or loved one to do it with you and share your own thoughts with each other. Messages, uh, Sunday, May 23rd, be giving the message in the auditorium at Third Church in Pella, Iowa at 9.15, talking about God and mammon. And then June 27th, I'll be talking about Sabbath in the Third Church Sanctuary at 8, 9, 15, and 11. You can always watch online at the Third Church YouTube channel, or you can go to TomVanderwell.com and click on Messages up at the top of the page, and they're all compiled there. All right, on this Wayfarer Weekend, I welcome my youth pastor, my friend, my mentor, Andy Bales. Welcome back to the Wayfarer Weekend podcast. I am so excited to have on the podcast this weekend a longtime friend and mentor, teacher, Andy Bales. Andy, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank thank you, Tom. Honored. Tell us your story about how you went from Iowa to Skid Row. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, yes, I uh, I was in Iowa, and I was uh, the executive director of Good Samaritan Urban Ministries in Des Moines, doing well. We'd, uh, through a coalition of churches, we had occupied, I guess, three and a half blocks of uh, the inner city of Des Moines, uh, crime had dropped by 51%. We'd created 156 units of transitional housing and rental uh, apartments and and home ownership and uh, had an after-school program for over 300 kids, a camp program during the summer. And um, just, I had kind of gotten comfortable and I'm never comfortable when I'm comfortable. And I got a call from a church in, Pasadena Historic Lake Avenue Church, and um, they asked me to come teach them how to reach out to the impoverished in their neighborhood. And uh, when I visited, I saw it as an opportunity to make a real difference and perhaps turn around a historic church that used to promote the uh, homogeneous unit principle of reaching out to like-minded, like people uh, uh, really emanated from, from Lake Avenue Church. And I wanted to go in and get them to reach out to people who were different and be more like the New Testament church and uh, to reach all people. Uh, and so I went with that challenge. I wasn't supposed to do anything for about six months. I was supposed to just study the landscape and and the neighborhood. And uh, 
But as I moved in on December 31st of 1999, um, two, two men who were homeless uh, walked up from under the freeway bridge uh, nearby and introduced themselves and asked me what I was there to do. And I became good buddies with Dwight and Darby. And uh, uh, within, within a couple months, I asked the church, everybody was having a Super Bowl party. And uh, I asked the church if I could use the ministry center to have a Super Bowl party for people who were homeless. And uh, everybody thought it was a great idea and allowed me to get to work instead of just studying the neighborhood. And I went out with flyers to invite guys on the streets to our Super Bowl party. It was the year that Kurt Warner was going to play and win. And uh, I shared his testimony at halftime. And uh, when I was out handing out the flyers, uh, I handed one to Lonnie, Mountain Man, and, and uh, I wanted to let him know about the upcoming Super Bowl party at, at, at Villa 500 Ministry Center. And he says, don't worry, we've, we've all heard about it and we're all coming. <laughs> so we had this great night of, uh, of uh, watching the Super Bowl party and I mean, watching the Super Bowl, eating pizza, the church, Sunday schools, everybody brought more food than we could consume. Halftime, I shared Kurt Warner's testimony, and we launched a Bible study. So from then on, we had a dinner for people devastated by homelessness, and then we had a time of Bible study. Uh, I'll never forget that night, though, because a man named Henry, um, missing one leg and wearing a prosthetic uh he, he kind of made a joke at the end of the, uh, at the end of the um, game. He said, what are you doing after the Super Bowl? He said, I'm going to Villa Park to sleep in the rain. And it really hit me hard. And I worked for four and a half, almost five years to try to bring a permanent place for people to live uh, uh, in Pasadena. I, I once got in trouble because... In the, in the front of the newspaper, it said, uh, I said, Des Moines, Iowa has 1,300 people devastated by homelessness and 1,300 shelter beds, and we know it's not enough. Pasadena has 1,300 people who are homeless and 54 beds, and they think it's enough. And I said, Des Moines, Iowa is doing a much better job than Pasadena at addressing homelessness. Well, that that earned me lots of kudos in Pasadena, of course. And, and uh, later on, I got in hot water because I was uh, not only addressing homelessness, but we were doing after-school programs for latchkey kids, uh, many migrant kids. And uh, I made the remark that, you know, since 90% of our Pasadena public kids in school um, are undocumented, perhaps we should allow some of their parents to serve on the school board. And well, that made the news and that upset my, one of my chairman of my board. And he got made fun of it as at his local country club. And uh, in the midst of that, a, the mayor, uh, not, not the mayor, city councilman, uh, the city planning and zoning guy, and a wealthy neighbor went and complained to my the church about uh, my team going out 
a couple of days a week and, and giving sweet bread and coffee to the day laborers that were on the streets and had been for four years looking for a job. And um, uh, I felt whether I was right or wrong doesn't really matter now, but I felt at the time the church was timid in their report, uh, in their support for me, uh, in their response to the city councilman, the, the planning and zoning guy and the, and the wealthy neighbor. And so I decided to run for city council against that city councilman who was threatening the church about uh, the work that, that we were doing. And at that point, the church put me on a paid leave of absence uh, to corral my passion for the poor. Well, Ugh. I'll tell you, you know, never, never corral somebody's passion for the poor by making them fearful of becoming poor and, and putting them in their front yard not knowing what their future held. <laughs> that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? No, because I became more passionate for people who were devastated by poverty. In fact, uh, one of the guys that I was working with said, you know, Andy, when I'm out there standing on the corner asking people for a job, he said, I feel like dirt. And so, Tom, for the first time in my life, and it was good. It was a good experience. After the church put me in my front yard, unemployed, not knowing my future, I felt like dirt. And I was, I was sitting in the front yard licking my wounds. And uh, the chairman of the board of the biggest rescue mission in the country uh, pulled up in front of my house and got out of the car and and walked up to me and handed me a contract to become uh, the president and CEO of Union Rescue Mission, historic Union Rescue Mission, downtown Skid Row, Los Angeles. And I just, I just looked up at the sky and said, God, you are too good to me. I completely blew it, <laughs> lost my job. And, and here, you know, I'm, I'm getting to do this opportunity that I've always wanted to do at double the pay that I've ever received. And, and I, uh, one of, one of the things I said is I've worked my whole life to end up on Skid Row and I finally made it. Oh, and that's I, awesome. I, I went and drove around the Skid Row area, prayed and, and, uh, on April 20th or so of 2005, uh, became the president and, uh, immediately, uh, my mentor, the, the current CEO uh, uh, of the place at that time, Warren Curry, he handed me a couple of jobs to do. And the first job was, Andy, we're trying to buy a place for our moms and kids to escape Skid Row. And uh, it's not going to be easy because people in L.A. Uh, don't want uh, to serve people who are homeless in their neighborhood. And they want to keep people on Skid Row. So your job is going to be to win the political battle uh, to move our moms and kids out of Skid Row. And so the battle that I lost so badly uh, in Pasadena uh, helped prepare me for a bigger battle uh, in which I would have to take on a neighborhood association and a county supervisor, the most powerful county supervisor in in Los Angeles and win the right for our moms and kids to move out of, uh, out of Skid Row. Mm. All right. At this point, I need to stop 
uh, the conversation and take everybody back because uh, full disclosure here, my relationship with Andy began when I was a sophomore in high school and in Des Moines, Iowa, and you were my youth pastor. And one of the things, two things that I remember as you're telling this story, number one, I think that you've always gotten in trouble <laughs> with people in authority. And part of that in my, you know, recollection in my memories is that you have always been one to number one, follow where God is leading. Even if that is into, you know, places of political incorrectness or places that are going to bristle, uh, the institutional powers that be. And one of the, the other thing that I learned in looking back is that you taught us as your youth to always do what God is calling us to do. And you empowered us to do it. And you told us not to limit what God could do through us. And it was transformative to that generation of kids who are, you know, are still out there trying to follow your lead in going to the places that God's called us to do and, and not letting people stand in our way. So thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. But uh, man, I, you talk about a, a Forrest Gump kind of life. I, I just dropped in to Federated, my home church, um, and uh, found this astounding group of youngsters fired up and you know, just, I, I don't know if anybody is, has ever inherited a group like you all who've done so much in your lives. And uh, I, I was just blessed to have such an outstanding group of leaders who, who in their own right have gone out and helped change the world. I saw Matthew, uh, Matt Hill just celebrated at Northwestern uh, University in, in St. Paul because how he helped the school through the COVID-19 period uh, yeah as, as the athletic director we've seen you go on and and do so much uh, we have neil rich a pastor in minnesota carolyn uh, anderson uh, mccord anderson in spain as a missionary i could go on and on but uh, jack camrick a police officer in des moines just you guys have been amazing to watch well and it was a divine appointment to have you uh, as our youth pastor and to watch what God has done. So now you, you go from Des Moines, Iowa, where you worked with the homeless. You're now at, in Skid Row in Los Angeles. Um, so compare for me, you know, what it was like working with the homeless in, in flyover country of Des Moines, Iowa and being on Skid Row. What are the, what are the things that are the same? What are the things that are different? So the things that are the same is that people devastated by homelessness, whether it's Cliff coming to me early on as crack cocaine hit Des Moines and totally changed the landscape. So uh, previously in Des Moines, it was all uh, men who were alcoholics who were devastated by homelessness. And then as crack cocaine hit Des Moines, I remember Cliff, uh, African-American man who had been in Vietnam coming to the door and admitting a crack cocaine uh, addiction. And uh, uh, things completely changed overnight. Uh, people of every ethnic group began to come to the doors of uh, Door of Faith Mission. Um, 
on my Saturday night outings, I would begin to find families uh, in living in abandoned apartments. So I actually saw a, a transition of mostly white men who had alcohol problems to uh, a myriad of, of drug addiction mm -hmm. and every ethnic group, even a Vietnamese man. Um, uh, can't remember his name right now, but I, I remember going to the river, finding him with uh, food poisoning from eating a pigeon and, and carrying him back uh, to the mission. Uh, so people are people and it's just, it's just different things now causing uh, the homelessness. Uh, but, but I've always loved everyone I've ever met who, who's devastated by homelessness. In fact, I, I think I love everybody I ever meet, but especially I love people devastated by homelessness. My heart uh, goes out to them. And, mm. and, you know, it was that episode at, uh, at the parking lot where God confronted me with my own um, failure to practice what I preach I preached Matthew 25 about feeding hungry people and it's like feeding God himself. And if you turn your back on a hungry person, it's like turning your back on Jesus himself. And that moment when I failed to feed that man in the parking lot, my, not only did I begin to, to, to change, I had something happen where I never ever again looked at somebody who was homeless and didn't feel their pain. I used to look through them as they dug out of a dumpster. And then after that decision to uh, practice what I preach, I've always felt the pain of a person devastated by homelessness. So that hasn't changed. And imagine it's kind of a haunting. I'm haunted by the thought of one person being on the streets without a home. And imagine living in Los Angeles now where 70,000 people live on the streets uh, in the capital of street homelessness. Uh, but, the, but the difference is in Des Moines, Iowa, there was a possibility of assisting everybody uh, who wanted help uh, to get off the streets. There was such generosity and care and concern in Des Moines, Iowa at that time that we almost cleared the streets of people devastated by homelessness. We had uh, ample resources for people who needed to get in from the cold. And when I would go out on a Saturday night or Scott Larson would go out on a Saturday night and feed people, when we found somebody who wanted help, we had a place to take them. Well, mm -hmm. that is not Los Angeles. Los Angeles is unfortunately... Uh, and I experienced it a lot in Pasadena. That's why I kind of got chased out of town. I'm very, I'm, o I'm okay in Pasadena now. They, they, they like me. <laughs> You've been I, redeemed? Well, I, I'm redeemed because I no longer work there. <laughs> I, Rose, so I'm kind of a hero in Pasadena <laughs> because I live in Pasadena, but I work on Skid Row. Uh, but, but the difference here is we have a selfishness in Los Angeles that uh, would be unrecognizable to most Iowans. It, okay. it, it, there's a greed and lust for celebrity status here uh, that, that I've never encountered in my 
life. And I call it out because um, we'll never address homelessness until we address a real heart change uh, uh, toward people who are devastated by homelessness. Imagine a city, uh, Tom, where five people die every day from the complications of homelessness. Five people died yesterday. Five people will die today. Five people will die tomorrow. Um, I just reported 117 people died of, in April of, of uh, 21 compared to 113 in, in 2020. And yet there's an insistence here to slowly roll out 600,000 to a million dollar units uh, as, a, as the silver bullet solution to homelessness. Uh, but let me, let me try to put it quickly. There was a goal to put out 10,000 units of housing, very expensive, slow to develop housing as the silver bullet to end homelessness. And 10,000, even though there's, at that time, there were 50,000 people on the streets. So in, in any stretch of the imagination, it was not a plan that would solve the issue. Mm -hmm. And it was far too expensive. I, I just saw a post I, I posted two years ago, and uh, I said, you know, if the plan is to spend a billion dollars, they're not going to get enough units to address homelessness. Uh, what they're planning would cost $22.5 That was two years ago. So our billion dollars hasn't created 10,000 units in four and a half years, we've created 641 of the 10,000 proposed units. Meanwhile, 5,817 people have died on the streets in that four and a half years. So I've, I've just called it out and said, it, your plan is no plan. It's about as practical of a plan as if I said, I'm going to put condos on the moon, a plan that uh, a plan that allows 5,817 people to die on the streets while you, you've helped 641 is almost a plan to, uh, to do criminal negligent homicide uh, because there's this aversion to immediate help. Well, anyway, a federal judge shows up. I become friends with him. Uh, he, he comes in because the uh, businesses and others in LA sued the city and the county uh, to to immediately put a roof over everybody's heads so that we don't continue to have the status quo of Skid Row, the most dangerous neighborhood in the United States. Just just name number one most dangerous neighborhood by Forbes magazine in the United States, and two and three are adjacent to Skid Row. So this is the most dangerous neighborhood in the U.S. It is the biggest man-made disaster, and it was built out of corralling and containing by rounding up people who were devastated by homelessness, mental health issues, uh, and bringing them all to a 53-square-block area, putting all the services there, and creating the the biggest man-made disaster in the U.S. People in Iowa would not recognize nor understand or fathom the the violence that goes on in this 53 square block area where people were rounded up contained uh, everybody kind of turned their back on them cartels 
bring in cheap meth, now meth mixed with fentanyl, local gangs backed by violence, uh, hand out the, the drugs to uh, vulnerable people. Women uh, aren't raped once a day, they're raped several times a day. Women do not have a chance to live uh, a, a healthy life on Skid Row. It is, uh, I, I said in um, the British press yesterday, it, it couldn't be worse unless it was hell itself. And uh, the sad thing, though, is that activists and others fight to keep Skid Row, Skid Row. And I do not in any way want to keep Skid Row, Skid Row. So I welcomed the judge. I toured him of everywhere. I, I uh, uh, mentored him. Uh, I've helped him uh, come back to faith because he lost a lot of his faith in Vietnam, fighting with uh, fighting with a group called the Walking Dead, the most uh, the biggest casualty rate of anybody in the Marine Corps. Um, I send him a scripture verse every morning, a devotional every morning. We become buddies. Well, it looked like we were going to win, Tom. I mean, it looked like wow, history is going to be made. We're going to. We're going to empty Skid Row of anybody on the streets. Everybody's going to, uh, his federal injunction, of which I helped with an amicus brief, uh, it, it was going to be an order to get everybody under a roof by October, women and children first, and then men. And I was so excited about being part of a solution and making sure there's nobody being abused on the streets. And then just yesterday, uh, the Ninth Circuit Court made a stay of the judge's orders until June 15th. And we thought a settlement would come out of all of this, that uh, the county and the city would step up, create tens of thousands of immediate units like 3D concrete printed homes, mobile homes, tiny homes, container homes, whatever it took. Uh, but there has been this all out effort to uh, bash the judge. The LA Times has ganged up on him, editorial board. The, the city is a, appealing the decision. The county's appealing the decision. And I've gone after all of them with uh, with uh, righteous anti-missile campaign and, and an occasional atomic bomb. I, I, I had a guy call me a rich old white man and a racist with a capital R because of being on the side of putting a roof over everybody's heads on Skid Row and how dare a white man enter into this uh, fray when most of the people on the streets of Skid Row are people of color. But that's the basis of the lawsuit and the injunction for years. Uh, L.A. County, L.A. City have corralled and contained uh, people, mostly people of color, and the judge's order to me are at or a reversal of that uh, corralling and containment. Um, it's a decentralization of Skid Row. It's a regionalization of services, which is what uh, we at Union Rescue Mission are all about. We created Hope Gardens, which is north of town. We're creating Angelus House, which is south of town. We want to someday be Union Rescue Mission Central, north, south, east, and west. Uh, so we were all for the decentralization. But but just yesterday, that stay hit, and I drove home scratching my head thinking, wow, God, what is, 
what is going on. I had great hopes and the hopes were dashed. And then, as I shared with you earlier, uh, some of my, uh, a lot of my contemporary peers have all retired and these, the younger crowd is, uh, is on an, in another world of, uh, of cheering that decision and bashing the judge and, and ostracizing me and not keep, not, not allowing me into meetings with, that they're having because I'm on the wrong side of things. And so, uh, Wow. I feel like I'm in the battle of my life. I thought COVID-19 was the battle of my life because we had 170 cases, four deaths, um, had to, you know, be as careful as I can be because I have so many health issues, uh, made it through the battle to save the lives of our guests, the battle to save the lives of our, of our staff in the battle of our lives. But, but this seems like it really is the the battle of my life and and for the lives of people devastated by homelessness on the streets. We're going to take a quick break. More of my conversation with Andy Bales after this. We're talking to Andy Bales, CEO and executive director of Union Rescue Mission on Skid Row. And with all that you've just shared with us, Andy, I, I, I wonder how do you not get discouraged? I mean, the the task has to feel like insurmountable every day. It does, but I always know uh, with God, nothing is impossible. Uh, with God, Jesus Christ, all things are possible. That's why. That's why I continue to do what what we do here. Uh, we rely completely on Jesus Christ and His followers um we we've been offered billions of dollars if we would drop our faith in jesus christ and i have said why would we give up the power of christ to change lives for any amount of money and we can actually say that we have turned down billions that other nonprofits are are getting uh because L.A. is per- perhaps the only metropolis that will not work with truly faith-based groups. In Seattle, as liberal as it is, they'll give faith-based groups money for uh, buildings, for utilities, for food. They just won't pay for your pastor or your chaplain. But in L.A., uh, they have firmly told us, uh, we will not support you and your current faith practices. Um, we we will support other groups, but uh, I, I don't know if you, you realize it, but we even got the attention of the president and Ben Carson who came to town. And at the time, we were all talking about faith-based groups receiving money and, and uh, receiving federal land in order to get people immediately off the streets. But when the president and, and Ben Carson and all met with the local authorities, uh, every city council person and every county supervisor except one said that if any of our local faith-based groups like Union Rescue Mission get federal money, they will have to de-faith. Uh, and, and really, I translate that they will have to de-recovery. Uh, the harm reduction uh, model rules here. And in order to receive county or city money or federal money here in Los Angeles, you have to allow alcohol and drugs to freely flow in your uh, building. 
we are all about recovery. We will never give in to that alcohol and drugs freely flowing as we recover from addiction. Um, and so we, why we're such misfits in this environment, uh, Tom, it, it's, it, I feel like I'm in the twilight zone. Uh, the number one cause of death on the streets in Los Angeles are overdose deaths, especially uh, fentanyl mixed with meth. That's the reason so many people are dying on the streets. I shared earlier, five people per day are dying on the streets. And yet you have to follow the harm reduction model where you allow alcohol and drugs to freely flow. It's just part of being homeless, according to our city and our county. And, and you should not in any way interrupt or intervene in that drug flow uh, or make somebody feel bad in any way uh, by, by trying to intervene in their addiction. Um, for me, that is just the death spiral uh, of addiction. And our Bible says, you know, if, if, if you see a brother stumbling toward death and fail to intervene, God knows your heart and uh, will remember your decision to allow your brother to stumble onto death. So mm. we're compelled by scripture to intervene in people's lives who are heading toward death. And yet our city and our county uh, are compelled to tell you that uh, you cannot in any way interfere in somebody's decision to destroy themselves. So we, we just don't fit in this world and it's a, it's a, it's a struggle, but how I hang in here to answer that question. So I, I try to make sure it's following Christ and not just the fact that um, if you, if, if you give me an impossible task or tell me something can't be done or come after me, that just revs up who I am to come back. <laughs> uh, so, so I do a lot of praying, just make sure I'm not just enjoying the battle uh, or thinking I can win in the flesh. And, and this is a battle that I can't win at all. In fact, you know, felt like a totally lost yesterday. But I don't give up because I know the power of Christ. And part of that is uh, stories like Alexandra. But we also have a man named Alex Cornejo. He looks like Mario Lopez. Uh, when I came, he was just graduating our program. His father graduated our program, but then overdosed, uh, unfortunately, sadly, tragically, overdosed on heroin and died. Well, at that moment, Alex was facing time for meth and all the crimes that come with it that support the meth addiction. And he had a choice, either come into our men's one-year intense recovery program or go to jail, and he chose our men's recovery program. Well, he graduated. He became the assistant to the assistant to the assistant, as he describes it, in our volunteer office, and he turned his life around. He's now a major donor officer. He's been sober 17 years, wow. and he's been delivered by Christ from his addiction uh, he's a remarkable young man. He's he's raised over a million dollars, as he says, to support others who who come in to make sure we have an open door to others who want to escape addiction. And um, I get to walk 
with walking miracles. I get to work with walking miracles every day. That's what gets me fired up about coming to work. And uh, it causes me to put up with any flack that comes our way, uh, causes me to, you know, keep doing what I'm doing. I get up every morning and rush to work, anxious to, to make it possible to see another life completely transformed through the power of Christ. And, and that's what keeps me going when, when all seems impossible. Even if, even if Skid Row stays Skid Row and is headed down a, 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 a path of destruction is, is what it feels like. Even, hard to comprehend even more destruction than already happens on Skid Row. But come what may, uh, we see people coming to Union Rescue Mission to give life one more try and we want to be here for them and help them uh, find their way home find their way find their way home and i'm not just talking about a home home a house or a apartment i'm talking about finding eternity with christ and and that's who we are and what we do and and uh we're in the middle of uh we're in the middle of performing miracles or instruments of miracles being part of a miracle every day Amazing. So as you, you know, I think about for being in Pella, Iowa, you know, working in flyover country in a relatively affluent white uh, rural community. And, and I know that they're both Wendy and I, as we read the headlines every morning over coffee, as we think about what's happening in the world and we read about about Skid Row and hear your stories about Skid Row, what would you say to to us and to our our friends and loved ones? How can we how can we help? How can we partner? What what should we be doing? Um, and in and how should we be responding to what the battle you're fighting every day? Well, thank you, Tom. I think doing exactly what you and Wendy are doing, keeping up with the headlines, praying for us. Uh, if God tells you to partner with us, you can go to urm.org, uh, learn all about what we're doing. If God tells you to uh, become part of it, uh, it truly is an investment in eternity. Um, when you give to change someone's life, we're going to do much more. We're opening up uh, a place for 86 families in South LA because most of our families and our people come from South LA, a, a place of great injustice and uh, inequity and inequality, uh, not many chances. And we decided we're going to go where people are rather than have them come to the mean streets of Skid Row. Uh, we want to, we want to make LA a place where Anybody, when they lose their place, can go to their own neighborhood and get their own help in their own neighborhood, still connected to schools, still connected to the church, and uh, when you give to Union Rescue Mission. But I I also want to say, when you keep sharing the truth of the gospel and solid values uh, and solid work ethic and caring about your neighbor, keeping the Midwest values of uh, you know, we are our brother's keeper. Uh, the answer from 
Cain uh, about Abel should have been, yeah, I am my brother's keeper. You know, there's no question. We are our brothers and sisters keeper. Keep those Midwest values of caring about each other. Don't get caught up in myths of, of how to help people or ideological crazy ideas that, that uh, in the end will leave people on the streets and not help them uh, that don't give in to that culture that says um, alcohol and drugs can freely flow and you can still have a quality of life. I heard an entertainer the other day describe uh, being California sober. California sober now means that you use marijuana and psychedelics. Uh, that's the new definition of sober in California. Don't buy into the world's lives or uh, I can tell you what what's happening in L.A. will soon come to a, a town near you uh, if you don't continue to follow Christ. Yeah. Well, and th- another thing that I, I, I'd like listeners to know about you, Andy, is that is that I, I remember being in the youth group. Um, you even at that point in your life, your health was not great. I can I I have distinct memories of you sending me uh, into convenience stores to get you an orange juice or a candy bar because you're <laughs> having an insulin reaction. And I can remember having conversations with my fellow youth and youth kind of going, you know what? I'm, we're not sure that Andy's going to last very long. Uh, yeah. Like, I never planned to live this long. If I, that old joke, if you knew you're going to live this long, you would have taken better care of yourself. But yeah. But and you're, a, you are I'm an amputee. Yeah. yeah. I'm a miracle. I've been a type 1 diabetic since I was 13, so I'm going on 50 years with type 1 diabetes, which is almost unheard of. My doctor told my mom uh, that Andy will live 25 years. Both my first cousins who got diabetes at the same time I did have been gone um, more than 20 years. Um, I have gone through a, a heart failure Heart attacks, heart heart failure, kidney failure, uh, lost my right leg to uh, uh, flesh-eating disease I got on Skid Row from human waste. At the time, we were 184 toilets shy of a minimum standard for a Syrian refugee camp. We had 2,800 people uh, on Skid Row sharing nine toilets, so there was human waste everywhere. I had a wound. I got uh, my wound boot got human waste on it. I got a coli, staph, and strep fleshing disease uh, seven years ago. Ended up in the hospital with 104 temperature, blood poisoning. Um, you know, never never walked again without a prosthetic. Came out of, came out of the hospital in a wheelchair. Um, I've had, you know, about everything you can have go wrong, and yet I believe <laughs> I'm still alive because I'm trying every day to do God's will and God uh, no has doubt about kept it. me alive. So. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. You have always been a fighter and uh, didn't, you know, you're not going to lay down for anybody. In fact, I have to tell you this, you know, being in, in your youth group and, and being your friend and you regaling us with all of your stories of, uh, of being a boxer as a kid. And then here a couple of years ago, I, get onto Facebook and see you sparring with Sugar Ray Leonard on <laughs> 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 a video. I I was laughing and I was crying at the same time because it was just uh, 
if you'd told me, you know, 40 years ago when we were kids that I would someday see you boxing with Sugar Ray Leonard, I I just would have said no way. But what, <laughs> that was so fun to see that. Yeah, I bid on that at a charity event, and, and I, I made him box me. And I don't think he does it anymore because I bled all over his patio furniture. I don't think his <laughs> wife lets him do it anymore. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Andy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Um, I We will definitely be praying for you, for your work, uh, Union Rescue Mission. Again, urm.org, if anyone wants to partner with you and find out more about all that you're doing. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Awesome. Well, I love you. Thank you so much for your impact on my life and all that you're doing for God's kingdom. And uh, love to Bonnie and, and your family. Love you, Tom. Thanks for all you meant to me and, and uh, helped me in my walk. I want to thank Andy Bales for being on the Wayfair Weekend Podcast. Join me for Chapter Day Podcast each weekday. We're in the book of Ecclesiastes, which has been a lot of fun. Please, as always, feel free to share this podcast or any Chapter Day posts or podcasts with anyone, anywhere. It is free. And I, my friend, would like to leave you with this blessing. May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face. May the rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand.